Hello, and welcome to the Facilitating Extraordinary podcast. I'm your host, Travis, and I'm joined today and honored and privileged to have a personal friend, a coach, a mentor, a role model. Um, I could probably go on, but my good friend, Dr. Ron Thiem. Welcome, Ron, to the show. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction, Travis. I could say all all those things right back at you, but I'm just tremendously pleased to be here with you today. Yeah, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to come onto the show and talk about a topic that I know um, is just who you are as a person and, and one of the things that I've always appreciated about you and your heart around servant leadership. And, um, you know, we've known each other for several years now, and I can't think of one coaching session or one mentoring session where I haven't walked out of the session with you thinking that, oh my gosh, I've learned so much in that 30 minutes. And I know the listeners will have the same type of experience. And I know I will too, even after we record this episode. So I'm really grateful that you're going to share a little bit um, with us today around your passion as a servant leader um, and someone who I can um, always look up to. A lot of people look up to just in a lot of ways, this is who you are. So um, I know you and I have know each other really well, but um, why don't you talk a little bit about your background, Ron, for the audience to give a little more context of who you are. I'd be happy to. And Travis, you're just way too kind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wish I were half as good as you make me sound. But uh, we're all, you know, we're going to talk about servant leadership today. And uh, I guess I just start by observing everybody's on their own path and their own journey along that servant leadership um, direction. And so uh, you know, if I can offer anything that's of help to folks, that's great. But I'm, I know that I have much more to learn uh, than I do to share. Um, regarding my background, uh, I guess, you know, I'm, I could be characterized as an entrepreneur, a consultant, and an executive. I've done all of those things over the span of my career. Uh, started out, really, the majority of my career was working in consulting. Uh, And my area of expertise is where people and organizations and business strategy and technology come together, or sometimes they collide uh, within organizations. And so I've done work for Fortune 500 companies as well as startups in that area and built a company around that concept, uh, which I grew up in. I, I grew that company and then later sold it. Uh, more recently, uh, I was the uh, executive and a CEO at a national testing laboratory, um, and uh, was a really fun job because uh, it was uh, an organization that was seeing just extreme levels of growth. I mean, 40% year-over-year growth, 60% uh, one year, one year even over 100% growth, and so that was just a fantastic opportunity to see how uh, we can grow a company while still maintaining the culture. And um, I know a little story, if I can. I know you've heard it before, but it just fits so well with uh, your current role and the good work that uh, Jordan Johnson does. Uh, our CEO, or our founder at that time, told the story about when the company was small, uh, one of his big clients called him in and uh, said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about uh, taking this business in-house. Would you like to join our company? And uh, 
you know, the way he tells a story, he said, well, no, I really wouldn't be interested in that. And he left and uh, he was walking home and he just realized that he lost 80% of his revenue. So he thought, how can I prevent that from happening again? And rather than saying, well, I need to invest in business development or, you know, I need some new laboratory processes to make it more efficient or laboratory equipment to make my company more efficient. He said, I need a better company. I need a better company. And that's when he fell on the notion of process-based uh, management, a process honoring culture. For him, it was through ISO 9000. But I just love that story because I know that's what uh, uh, companies who are on the Baldur's journey are all about in making a better company. So anyway, that was a great experience. Um, most recently, I was uh, a chief experience officer at a healthcare company I uh, had about 16,000 employees, about $3 billion a year in revenue, uh, and I was in charge of both our caregiver, our employee experience, as well as our customer experience, uh, and that was just a super opportunity to uh, try out some new things, and we really achieved some really wonderful results there, so that brings us kind of up to the present. Yeah, and, and I think... Um... I think our audience, even within minutes, can appreciate your humility um, and recognize that you've held some of the highest ranks in executive level leadership in multiple industries. And I think, um, you know, if anyone were to meet you, Ron, um, you know, you could interact with people as, you know, um, in a special way. And I think that that's already coming through um, in this interview. So thanks for sharing that story. I've ha I have heard the, short, the story of the process-based management one. You know that's one of my favorite ones. And I think that um, there is something to be said about leading with a servant's heart, with you know, process discipline um, to back you up and to support you. There, there does seem to be something there that's just a really nice combination. Um, and I think it's in regards to, you know, if you can establish repeatable, reliable processes using good process discipline, it does give you and your leadership team more bandwidth and capacity to make meaningful investments in others. And I think that there's something there that's really, um, really a, a nice combination. So thanks for, thanks for that background, Ron. What, when, you know, if there's people out there that are wondering about what is this servant leadership, um, how do you define it? What's a, what's a definition that we can kind of latch onto when we say servant leadership? Yeah, it's one of those concepts that's a little bit squishy to some people. Um, you know, the idea of servant leadership, it goes way back. It, I mean, when I say way back, I mean back to uh, Cicero, Plutarch, um, back to the Bible, even. Um, and then it was really popularized, I'd say, by Robert Greenleaf uh, in back in the 1970s. Uh, he wrote a very famous essay called The Servant as Leader. And here's what he said. And now this is back in 1970. He said, a servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of people and the communities to which they belong. While traditional leadership generally involves the accumulation and exercise of power by one at the top of the pyramid, servant leadership is different. The servant leader shares power, puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. So Travis, even in that definition, you're starting to hear echoes 
of a process-based uh, organization, a pro process-honoring culture. You know, it's about servant leaders who have a mindset walking into their work that they wish to serve first and to lead second. And when you think about that, that's a profound change from what we see in a lot of leadership in our organizations. It is. It's really profound when you think about Greenleaf coming up with that and doing a lot of his work in 1970, and you fast forward to 2020, and you, you see and you hear things like robotic uh, process automation, the internet of things, digital transformation, and you, you listen to that definition, and you, you just can't help but think that, um, you know, he must have known something that we didn't know at the time, because as, as we automate more, as we eliminate you know, non-value-added activities for, for humans, it does seem like he was creating a space for the servant leader to really help people, you know, find their strengths, de develop, and ultimately perform as highly as possible is what he said. So I think that's great. And it's extremely insightful even just hearing you say that out loud and um, reflecting on where we are in 2020. Absolutely. So, you know, with that definition in mind, and I know that you've had many C-level positions, how, how do you show up to audiences? What, what does that mean if I'm a servant leader? And um, why is it important to show up certain ways for people? And, and maybe talk a little bit about that and why that's important. Um, around how do you do you treat your boss differently than you treat your people? Do you treat the board of directors differently? Maybe maybe talk about your experiences there. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that each one of us is on our own leadership journey. So we're all learning all the time. And so I don't want folks to misunderstand what I'm saying uh, because I'm certainly not at the end of my leadership journey. I'm still growing and learning new things every single day. Uh, so as I go through these stories, I just want to uh, do that with an air of humility and a, a mindset of learningfulness. But, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that your listeners have can probably think back on a time when they knew a person uh, that might be, might have been a team leader, might have been an executive, maybe even CEO of a company who treats certain individuals one way and another set another way. And typically when they're interacting with their superiors, whether that be the board of directors for a CEO, or maybe as a group of executives for a manager, they have a different air about them. They have a different way of talking, a different way of serving, if you will, that set of people. Yet when they're with their own team members, that is the people who in an org chart report directly to them for which they are responsible and, and to which they have the responsibility and the honor of leading, they act completely different. You know, they might, uh, they might uh, come across as the opposite of somebody who serves first and leads second. They might be a directive. They might bring their own uh, mindset into the business such that they're not able to hear other people talk. So I think that's, being observant about how people show up with different audiences can teach us about how to be better servant leaders. And it can teach us individually how to do that as well. 
as we step back and look at how we interact with various audiences. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. And we were with um, a client actually earlier this week, and they were looking at their organizational mission, vision, values. And one of the key topics that they kept and this was a multidisciplinary group that represented the entire organization. So it wasn't necessarily senior leaders of the organization, but they kept on going back to this idea and this notion that, um, you know, a lot of this cultural work does not happen if it's not consistently role modeled by the leadership group. And I think your story there just really reinforced that. I, I think that um, it's not even, you know, you could say things in a values statement or a vision statement in, in the org values, but what you say and what the organization sees what the leaders do, there's a heavier weight on the actions of the leaders. So I think that that's a really good insight. And this next question, I think it's important because, you know, given the current state of our, of our world today, we're doing a lot of our our team meetings and our facilitation, I think, is all is all virtually. And I think that you, it kind of goes along with what you were saying around different audiences, but how do, you know, why is it important for leaders that practice servant leadership um, to create a safe environment in their team meetings and, and maybe compare and contrast for us what, what good looks like if you're practicing good servant leadership and maybe what you've seen not work so well when, when a leader's not practicing servant leadership? Well, I think it is all about what tone does the leader set for their team. Um, and again, sometimes it's easier to see this in others uh, rather than doing the hard work of introspection and seeing how we do it. But I think, I think we each individually need to uh, do that hard work and think about how we do this as well. So for instance, uh, in your team meetings, do you, are you ever concerned that your team members have a fear of speaking up, maybe of offering an opinion that's a little bit um, odd or unusual or strange, offering an idea that maybe isn't within the mainstream of the conversation? If you're observing that, you might be, as a leader, setting a tone, and perhaps even unintentionally, uh, that, you know, outside opinions or opinions that don't agree with me are not acceptable. Um, another way that I've seen people sometimes work is they have an expectation that, look, all the important decisions are going to get made outside our formal meeting time. When we come together as a group, we're just going to ratify those decisions that have already been made. And I think that, that's unfortunate because that... Um, doesn't allow the wisdom of the team to come through. Uh, servant leaders ought to be actively encouraging people to bring different ideas and different perspectives into the conversation. And only then do we get to really the wisdom of the team when people feel free uh, to express those uh, new ideas and opinions. You know, and I think that uh, has not only a lot to do with kind of the mindset of the team leader, but as you said, these days when we're not face-to-face -face for so much, um, we have to almost go overboard as leaders to make sure that we're creating that inviting environment, that open environment that's safe for people to speak up in. Uh, so during a Zoom meeting, you know, you, you uh, might ask, 
uh, Susie over there who hasn't been um, offering much of the conversation for the last 10 minutes. Hey, Susie, what do you think about this? What observations or insights do you have? And just be very intentional about creating that tone of uh, safety and openness for your team. Yeah, you, you use the term safety. And I think, you know, I, I think from a performance excellence perspective, you try to always create that safe space. And I think that you have to be very intentional in, in doing that. And it's funny that you mentioned going round the Zoom meeting and calling people out. That's a practice that we've actually been practicing and it's and it's working really well. In some ways, it's invited that dialogue more intentionally because you can't pick up on the micro expressions of people. So um, sometimes just making sure that you're checking in with everyone on the team um, does create that safe space. And it, it probably sends a larger message that their opinions and their thoughts matter. So I think that's all um, right up the alley of servant leadership. Um, I know I've talked to you about this in the past. I've asked you hundreds of times because I'm always looking for time management tips and tricks. But um, how how do you, you know how do you prioritize your day, Ron? When you think about um, how do you spend your time and um, you know email calls, talk to us about from your perspective practicing servant leadership. How do you how do you prioritize your day? Well, you know, Travis, that question reminds me of a, a time when I had just taken a new job and uh, I knew uh, my, uh, my new team leader, my new boss, I'd known him for several years. And so I remember the first day of my new job, I was working for him, had great respect and admiration for this, uh, this fellow, great guy. And um, we were chatting and I said, so how, how do you like to communicate? You know, thinking, Oh, he's my boss now, and I need to understand that. And he said, oh, he said, well, I do a lot of communication through email, as we all do these days. He said, it's not my favorite tool, but, you know, it's just part of the job. He said, and here's how I prioritize my email stream. He said, um, first of all, I look at my bosses, and I see if there are any uh, messages come through, and I scan for those, and I reply to those. Second, I look for the rainmakers in the organization. So the people who are out there um, creating a lot of revenue for the organization. So I scan through, see if there are any rainmakers in that email stream, and I respond to those. He said, then thirdly, and if I have time, then I look for messages from my team. And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> that just speaks volumes about what you think of your team. Um, and I, and I, would, I would say that is not a servant leadership mindset because a servant leader would come in first and say, I'm going to take a look at that email stream, for example, and see what my team is saying and see what help they might need and see how I might be able to make their jobs easier or how I might be able to get them information they need to make themselves be successful. Uh, and that's that difference between uh, leading first versus serving first. And the paradox of servant leadership is the more that you're able to serve your team as a leader, the better the leader you will be and the more effective your team will be because you're unleashing the creativity, the knowledge, the capability that your team has. And so I think it's important for all of us to think about how we prioritize our day. And as if we are fortunate enough to lead a team of people 
It should be prioritized around the needs of the people that you're honored to serve as a leader. Yeah, that that's a really interesting reflection question of, you know, I, I love that email example of how do you process, because email is, it seems like it's here to stay. And I think you can get a lot of insights around how people process that. And I love the example of, um, you know, if you see that, if you're processing your email and your team members are the last ones that you kind of process and, and attend to, what is that telling you about your leadership style? Um, and maybe it's an indication for opportunities for growth and development as you as a leader. So talking about, talking about your team members and setting up that environment for them to grow and develop and um, you know, what happens if one of them makes a mistake? How do they respond to that? What, talk to us a little bit about stories that you've heard or you can share around what does that look like to make meaningful investments in your team members' growth and development? Well, you know, Travis, I'm reminded of um, some work that you and I had uh, done together before. This is actually based on some work that James Harrington did. Uh, where he looked at organizations and kind of categorized them into the organizational view versus the process view. And uh, he did a lot of work around that, but a, a few of the things that he uh, summarized just stick with me. And they're things like this. Under the organizational view, you know, when there's a problem, typically there's a problem with the employees, right? But in the process view, we first look at the process. The process is the problem. Or in the organizational view, we we measure individuals. We see how good they are and how well they work. But in the process view, we measure the process. In the organizational view, we try to change the person, you know, make that person into something else. Uh, but in the process view, we change the process. It's from motivating people to removing barriers in the process view. It's from controlling employees in the organizational view to developing people in the process view. And I think uh, those kinds of things are just really important observations uh, because that is really all about your team members' growth as individuals. And it's about unleashing, again, their creativity, uh, their intelligence, their desire to do well, their desire to make and create a great organization as well. So as leaders, I think we need to step back and say, well, do we primarily coach our team members, or do we direct them, tell them what to do? Um, we need to think about how we respond to mistakes. Do we see mistakes as learning opportunities? You know, some of the greatest inventions in the world have occurred out of mistakes when people were trying to do something, yet they got a different result. So these are learning opportunities. As a servant leader, are you putting your team members' needs first? Uh, when they mess up, are you defending them? Uh, to the team and to your superiors, which can be a very, very difficult thing to do, but that's what servant leaders do. They defend their team members when they mess up. They turn them into learning opportunities. So it's all about really, it's about your team members' growth, their individual growth. And when your team members grow, your team grows, productivity goes up, uh, engagement goes up, uh, and all sorts of good things result from that. Yeah, there, there's, you're going to have a hard time finding any negatives when you invest in your people. 
And is it bad, Ron, when you were going over Harrington's work that I could visualize exactly you and I sitting in conference room, probably spending hours of our life looking at that same graph? Um, and we had so many great kind of memories around that and promoting that type of mindset. So I, I love that you shared that, um, that story. I think it's maybe days, don't you think? That we oh, absolutely. But it, you know, it really is powerful stuff, uh, yeah. and it's uh, mind-changing and organizational-changing stuff. And I really believe lies at the heart of creating better organizations and achieving the kinds of results that you know Jordan Johnson's clients are seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple more questions here, Ron, and I know um, I, we're barely scratching the surface of servant leadership, and I do think we could probably talk four days um, on this topic. So um, I'm, I'm just loving this dialogue. But if you've got time for a couple more, um, when you talk about, you know, really getting to understand your team members, you know, there's this, I think there's a couple schools of thoughts around this. And what's getting more and more, I think, traction right now in the mainstream is kind of strengths-based leadership versus kind of weaknesses where, you know, I think Travis is weak in this area. I'm going to, you know, focus on his weaknesses and we're going to make him better. What, what's your thoughts on some of that and what are you seeing and how does servant leadership kind of tie in and complement some of that work? Oh, this, I love that question, Travis. This is one of my favorite areas. And you're absolutely right. We could do an entire podcast just on this, probably a series of podcasts just on this yeah. topic. Uh, you know, I've, I personally, so I've been a fan of this strengths-based notion that originally came out of the Gallup organization. Uh, Tom Rath did a lot of work with StrengthsFinder. Uh, Marcus Buckingham is a very, very well-known uh, person who came out of the Gallup organization. He now has his own company called the Marcus Buckingham Company, oddly enough. Um, and uh, I've, so I've always been a fan of that notion that people grow in their areas of strength. And no matter how they try and invest to improve their weaknesses, they will just get maybe marginally better over time with their weaknesses, but they will grow exponentially if they focus that same amount of time and effort in their strengths. And just for your audience, just so they know, when I say a strength, I mean those things, uh, think about those things that you just love to do. You can't wait until it's time to do them when you're doing them. Time just flies when you're done doing them. You've got more energy than you did when you started. It actually creates energy and creates activity and creates creativity. Uh, whereas a weakness, the opposite side of coin, are those things that you just put off to the very last minute you hate doing it, time slows to a crawl while you're doing it. And the whole idea in a nutshell around strengths-based management is find those strengths for your team and organize your team's work to the extent that you can so they're working on their strengths at least part of every day. Doesn't have to be all day, doesn't have to even be the majority of the day, but at least part of the day, understand their strengths. Uh, and so there you can, you can see that a servant leader if a servant leader truly is first about serving his team, she's going to want to understand the strengths of those individual team members so that she can start organizing their work around their strengths. And the data uh, is just um, amazing and it's irrefutable. And this is across companies, across cultures, across countries. It is global data and it all shows one thing. 
that when teams are organized around their strengths, team productivity skyrockets. Company after company, doesn't matter what the culture is, doesn't matter what the language is, doesn't matter what the country is, this is something that's common to humanity. And so I think as servant leaders, if we can adopt that notion and make it real, we can really achieve extraordinary gains. Ron, that, that was well said. And um, I think we could do a whole episode on your insights around strengths and strengths-based leadership. So thanks for sharing that. And I, I, there's no question that when you went through some of those examples, it really resonated with some of our listeners. Um, so, so thanks for those insights there. If, there was a, if there's a young leader maybe listening to this episode and maybe this leader has, you know, moved up the ranks and has done so just because they've been the best problem solver. They've always been, you know, maybe they've always thought that they were the smartest in the room. And if they are continuing to sit, you know, in these team meetings and continue to think that, um, you know, maybe they're the smartest one in the room or they're the bravest or the wisest, because I think, you know, as you, like you said, you've said it multiple times, we're all on this journey of professional kind of growth and development. And I don't think that will ever stop. But if there's someone out there that's a new leader that maybe feels that way, that I'm the bravest one, I'm the only one that's working hard, what, what advice would you say to them? What, what would you, what would you, how would you guide them? That's a super question because I think uh, probably almost everybody uh, in your audience can probably relate to a time uh, when they took that first leadership job. You know, they've been an individual contributor on the team before that, and now suddenly they're responsible for leading people. Uh, and they're really two different role descriptions, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, as an individual contributor, uh, you know, my expertise might be the most important thing that I bring to that team, but as a leader, um, it's not my expertise that's important. Uh, it's my ability to bring the best out of the people on my team. And so, you know, if you don't make that change in mindset, as you make that change from individual contributor to leader, then um, you're probably going to find out that if you think you're still the smartest one in the room or the wisest or the bravest one, yeah, chances are almost 100%, I'd say that you're wrong. Uh, you've got a really significant blind spot with your team and your team will for sure pick up on that. And so I think one of the most important learnings for new leaders is to be able to, to make that transition and do it in a spirit of uh, humility and service uh, towards the people they're honored to lead. Great, great response to that, Ron. And, um, Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom and um, humility all throughout this um, episode. I do want to have you back and talk more about servant leadership and strengths-based leadership. And I told you know Jan and Tammy that we were having this session planned, and I think they were a little jealous that I got to interview you because um, everyone at the Jordan Johnson team is a huge fan of yours, Ron, and um, we're just really grateful for your continued partnership with us, and thanks for being on the show. Um, really, really grateful for you, Ron. 
Well, I uh, just as we started right back at you, uh, the work that you were doing uh, along with um, the others at Jordan Johnson, so incredibly important. And it must be so fun uh, to, to be able to build better companies and better organizations on a day-to-day -day basis. So congratulations to you all for the work that you're doing. All right, Ron. Well, we do appreciate it. And thanks so much for recording this episode and we'll get you back on soon. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Travis. Take care.